Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good afternoon to all of you. Our class has grown. Don't you think I don't notice? This is not yet VBS. VBS, I'm going to move over here. But today, got the whole room. Thank you so much. Romans chapter 5. Delighted that you're with us here in person or online, whatever. Thank you for being here. You know, the book of Romans has a lot of interesting things in it. People, Abraham a lot, Adam tonight. We're going to be talking about that. But I first want to talk about making a covenant. Just a few remarks, especially back in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, you will... Uh, you'll see something that God said as he gathers the people around Mount Sinai. He's going to give the Ten Commandments a little later on. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the world is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God has instructed Moses as to what to tell them. He has brought them out of the land of Canaan and out of the land of Egypt, taking them to Canaan. They are a nation of people. He put them in Egypt to grow them a nation. And now they are. Over in verse 8 of chapter 19 of Exodus, they respond, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That is the sign of a covenant. God supplies material and then they come back and say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to accommodate you. Then he goes to Exodus 20. And all of our little kids in here know that's the giving of the law. Goes to Exodus 20 and begins by saying, I am the Lord your God. That's where a covenant was made. Covenant was made by first introducing yourself and then telling some history. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm the real God. I'm not an image. I'm not an idol. I'm the real God. And that's the first, of course, the first commandment. He was not given a law in order to save them. He was not giving them a law in order for them to be a nation. They were already his people. They were already a nation. 500 years earlier, when Abraham offered Isaac, he was acting as a child of God, doing the will of God, not doing something in order to be a part of God's family. He was already a part of God's family. So Paul could say over in Ephesians 2, by grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. That is a true fact for every part of the Bible. True for the patriarchal age. 
We often say, and as I was growing up, I heard this. In the Old Testament, people were saved by law. In the New Testament, they were saved by Christ. That's just not true. In the Old Testament, people were saved by grace through faith. Under patriarchy? Under Moses' law? And under the law of Christ as well. And James would say, when it comes to salvation, a reference in Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, you see in the how about works, a man is justified not by faith only. James chapter 2, verse 24. And you might be saying, you've already talked about that, I have. But I wanted to reemphasize that. It's very important. Because James and Paul seem to be saying two different things. Paul said, not of works. And James said, by works. And if you look in the Greek language, you'll see the word works is used by Paul. The very same word is used by James. And there's an apparent contradiction here, apparent disagreement. But the whole thing is, it's an apparent disagreement. It is not a disagreement. Paul and James are saying the same thing. They're approaching it from different, two different ways. Neither of them believe that one is saved by merit, human works. Paul is saying, not of works, lest any man should boast. And James selects a work of God. He offered up Isaac, and he was saved by a work of God. That is what faith is. Faith is a work of God. That's how find. Faith without works is dead, being alone. In the 16th century, Martin Luther was a priest of the Church of Hail Marys. He believed in saying all those things, crawling up stair steps, praying on every tread, kissing carved images, all in order to be saved. He was on his knees in Rome at the Scala Sancta, that is the Holy Stairway, going up on his knees and praying on every step a canned prayer. And when he finished, he said, who knows if this is true? Martin Luther was a priest in that church. But he was a scholar. And he started to read the Bible. And he read it. And he began to understand that this will not work. This is human works. This is begging God. This is doing what I can do for myself to show God how great I am and will not work. And Martin Luther began to renounce any human efforts that were made. And uh, he knew that no human merit could bring salvation. And he preached that. And John Calvin, 26 years his junior, came and built on what Luther started and developed a, an extreme religion that we call Calvinism. The last point of Cal- the tulip doctrine is perseverance of the saints. All five of those things are dangerous in that tulip doctrine. But that one, greatly used today, says a Christian cannot fall from grace. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches the very opposite. And uh, we need to understand that and will understand it, of course, as we continue to study God's word. Now let's look at Romans 5. Romans 5 therefore Paul says being justified by faith 
Oh, what do you mean? I mean there's no human merit there. No human works. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You're justified by faith. We have peace with God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have by faith, access by faith, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's a very simple statement. We access grace by faith. We access salvation by faith. Remember, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, that unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, to enter the kingdom of God, of course, means that we're saved and in God's family. What did Jesus say about it? Had to be born of water and spirit. Is that faith? Of course it's faith. Spirit, the word as it develops in our heart, begins to grow and grow. It brings repentance. When it grows enough, we say, I can't continue to live in sin. And it brings also the idea, we want to confess Jesus Christ as God's son. It brings the idea of, what does he want me to do? And he plainly said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We want to be baptized. And we are baptized into Christ. That's the birth of water and the spirit that was planted in our heart to make it so. That's just simple. You might say, that's what I've always believed. Well, that's what's always been true. But so many people, including Luther, try to explain at least part of that away. And it doesn't work, will not work that way. Verse 3, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. We don't want tribulation, do we? Well, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure whether I want it or not. Well, let's lie down on your back, okay? Lie down on your back and look up at the sky. Let somebody put a hundred pound stone on your chest. That's tribulation. That's literally tribulation. Well, I can't breathe. Try hard. You'll breathe. Work hard. Tribulation is when you have tremendous spiritual pressure on you. So you don't think you can live. But God says through Paul here that we should glory in tribulations. They're going to treat me like this. I'm just going to quit. You're not going to make it. You won't make it. You've got to persevere. Knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. I read an author one time. I do like to read authors and how they write their books. But he said, I get an idea. He'd written several books. I get an idea for a book. And I sit down and start to write it. And I can't say I can't write a book. I don't know how to write a book. He said, the first thing I do is sit down and I write the title of the first one I wrote. Second one and third one. By the time I get to the fifth one, I say, I can write a book. And then I start my book. I think this is kind of what's said here. You know, I, I can't stand this tribulation. 
Yes, you can. It teaches you perseverance. I stood it last year when I had this problem. I can stand it this year, and all the while, I become stronger. And this perseverance, incidentally, and I try not to use too many bad words in here, but I have to tell you what this is. It's hupo mane. Two Greek words put together. Hupo means under, and mane means to remain. Perseverance here means to remain under. It means when something is on your back, and it's just... You just don't think you can take it. You, you, It's terrible. Your knees are going to buckle. He said, don't let it. You need to hupo mane. You need to remain under. Strengthen yourself and remain there. It's also translated patience, by the way. So here you have, we glory in tribulations. Because tribulation produces perseverance or patience. And perseverance, character, proof, specimen of tried worth, that's who I am. And character, hope. That makes the Christian. I thought when I became a Christian, I wouldn't have any more problems. I'm disappointed. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I don't want to tell you one thing. I never tell a person I'm studying with that Christianity is going to solve his problems. Unless we're talking about spiritual problems. I'd rather tell him, you're going to have more problems than you did when you were not a Christian. Going to have more temptations. Going to have more people on your back. You're going to have to persevere. If I'd known what I knew now, know now, I wouldn't become a Christian. Well, sorry about that. I don't know if you're going to make it or not. Just stand up to whatever's there. God will help. Satan cannot take you. Now, look at verse 3 and 4. If you have tribulations, perseverance, develop character, and hope, does that take any work? Absolutely. It takes hard work. Well, I thought we were saved by grace through faith, not by works. Those are not your works. They're works God told you to do. And they're part of our salvation. So simple. Now hope, verse 3, does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out of our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has given us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Apostle Paul had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And some of the people he was writing to, no doubt, had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit's gift, the Word. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us live the Christian life. How many of you, when you have a problem, reach for the Holy Spirit's Word? I do. And I find comfort in it. Find comfort in knowing this is what David said. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You mean, James, you still read that? I sure do. I sure do. Because it reminds me of who God is, what he does, and many other scriptures as well. Even while we were yet without strength, 
God didn't look at us or anybody and say, such a good fella, such a good woman. I'm just going to raise him. No, no, he doesn't do that. He looks at us and says, this person can't make it without me. He's a sinner in need of me. She's a sinner in need of me. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we have sinners, Christ died for us. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For a good man, someone would even dare to die. What's the difference in a righteous man and a good man? I don't know what all Paul has in mind here, but I do know this. There are three men on the dock. There's a truck backing up to be unloaded. Has to be unloaded today. The supervisor there, he's not an hourly man. He has to get that truck unloaded or see that it's unloaded. He turns to his workmen, the two that are there, and say, okay, man, I need a favor. I need you to unload that truck. And one man looks and says, you know, the whistle just blew. It's 430. I'm going home. So what a jerk. No, he's a righteous man. He's following his contract. He can do that. That's what his... That's what his law says. The other guy says, sir, I'll help you do that. He's a good man. He's also righteous. He's a good man. He's going to go beyond what's required of him. And he does that. Well, we like people like that. We like people like the good man. We even like the righteous man unless he gets in our way. But look at this. God demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He never looked at James Andrews and said, that's a righteous man. Never looked at you and said, that's a good man. That's a good woman. God didn't do that. He looked at us and said, those are people that are poor in spirit, or poor spiritually, I should say, and they need help. They're sinners. They're still sinners. And if I don't rescue them, They will not be rescued. Christ died for a lot of ungodly people. He didn't die for any person who was already saved. He didn't do that. He died for people who had to be saved. We had to have him to be saved. Much more then, in verse 9, now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justified means to be pronounced righteous. Hmm, I thought a, I thought a, a person who was justified is, uh, is righteous. Well, he's pronounced righteous. It is just as if he had paid his debt. That's what the word means. Well, let's see. Uh, Christ died for the, uh, shed his blood for those people. Uh, what about those who were already righteous? There weren't any. Every person Christ died for had to be delivered by his blood. For if when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more than being reconciled, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
The word reconciled. It means to make friends with. We always, I always define it that way, but it's deeper than that. It means to exchange. It's like a, it's like if someone comes to me and says, James, do you have two fives holding a ten in his hand? I say, well, I might have. I look and see and, yeah, well, I need change. I give him two fives and I take ten. That is reconciling. That's an exchange. That's what it is. You know, God comes to us and says, do you want to make a deal? Well, yeah, what is it, God? Well, I have the blood of Christ here. Do you want it? Yeah, what's it going to cost me? It's going to cost your filthy self. It's going to cost you and all your sins. You, 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 you mean, you mean you're going to change the blood of Christ for my filthy self? God says, yes. That's what I'm going to do. I'll buy you. I'll make that change. Folks, that's humbling. That's what happens. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul says the exchange has been made. You have the blood of Christ, and God took your filthy rags, made something of them. We're getting into chapter 12, now verse 12. This section is controversial because it involves what is commonly thought of as original sin. Original sin is sin inherited from the parents. I did some work on this some years ago, not lately, but when I was doing the work, I I read that there are a group of people who believe that we have a sin gene you know, I have brown eyes. I got that from my mother. I don't have much hair on the top of my head. I have a lot on my face. I got that from my daddy. Genetically, I am what I am. I was six one before I shrunk up. Got that from my mother's side. My daddy was only about five nine. But that's what I am genetically. Something in the bodies of my parents that came together when I was being made. You know, it's amazing to me that, and we don't understand this sometimes, but one sperm cell and one ovum, that's two cells, merge in the fallopian tubes and form a zygote. Z-Y-G-O-T-E, that is a one-cell human being. So two cells come together and form one cell. That happened to you too, by the way. And we have those chromosomes from parents together. Well, somehow when Adam sinned, he got a new chromosome that's called sin and passed it down. How does that sound to you? Kind of stupid to me. I just have to be honest with you. Because there's absolutely no scientific evidence for it. People are still talking about that, but it doesn't work out that way. Cannot happen so far as I can tell. In Ezekiel 18.20, and this might not exactly satisfy us, but 
It says the soul who sins shall die. Son shall not bear the guilt of the father. Father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. And the wicked of the wickedness shall be upon himself. No sin gene. It is not there. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And then a long parenthetical statement here. For until the law was in the world, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Imputed means to count, to put on a ledger sheet. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. The whole point is, sin entered the world through Adam. I believe that. I believe that's what he says. I believe that's what happened. In fact, I want to go back to Genesis and talk about this. But while I talk about it, I want to ask you the question, should we be talking about original sin or original grace? Genesis 3 at verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me And I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all your life. I will put in between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Now notice this. He said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. But he didn't say that he cursed the woman. He cursed the serpent. Didn't say he cursed the woman. And then Adam. You know, I'm really mad at Adam. Eve didn't know what she was doing. Eve thought she was doing right. Eve thought she would be better off to do what Satan told her to because he was competing with God and she knew God, but she had never seen him in this respect. And the reason God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because you will be as wise as the gods if you do that. He doesn't want any competition. Eve said, ah, sounds good to me. And she took the fruit and gave it to Adam and Adam is saying, well, she did it. I guess I'll do it too. But Adam knew what he was getting into. He didn't know the consequences. But he knew that it wouldn't benefit him and he did it. Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, eaten from the tree which I command you, saying you shall not eat. Curse is the ground for your sake. Not cursing you, but curse is the ground for your sake. So God cursed the, the serpent and he cursed the ground. Thorns and thistles and South Georgia gnats, 
mosquitoes. Ladies, I wonder what a rose bush would, what rose bush would be like without thorns. Would be nice, wouldn't it? And I used to pick cotton. You can't tell that by looking at me now. But I did. I picked 273 pounds one day. I got rich. We were getting three cents a pound. You do the math. There were saw briars in the cotton patch. They were briars that ran out strips and they'd get wrapped around my legs, around my cotton sack, cut the blood out of my legs. Thorns and thistles. That's what God did to the earth because of Adam's sin. He cursed it. What a mess. Adam called his wife named Eve. She was mother living. Also, uh, for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Don't take this for absolute truth. And don't tell me for saying this. But I do believe that God killed two animals sacrificed them and skinned them for the sins of Adam and Eve when they needed a suit of clothes to wear. I can't prove that. The Bible doesn't say that. But this was a blood sacrifice. Wow. But the free gift is not like the offense. Or if by one man many died, one man's offense many died, that's Adam. And he did introduce physical death on earth. Much more by the grace of God, the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Jesus is the second Adam. Now sometimes in this passage we get mixed up on what, uh, what kind of death this is. Is this physical death being introduced? It was, of course. What about spiritual death? That was introduced too. Jesus came and offered life, and he offered spiritual life as well as regular life. I'm come that you might have life, having more abundantly, John 10, 10. <laughs> but here is uh, Adam causing many to die through his sin. He caused, brought death into the world, and all died eventually because of that. And then Jesus Christ died in order to give us life. <clears throat> Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So we don't have to fear death. Book of Hebrews teaches that. He came to, to conquer death. The writer of Hebrews points out that uh, man has control of everything. God put him in charge of everything except one thing. And he sent his son have control of that. That is of death. Thank God. The gift is not like that which came through the one who had sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. And the free gift that came from many offenses resulted in justification. Well, he's talking about Adam and Jesus again. The judgment that came from one offense resulted in condemnation. That's Adam's sin didn't pass the 
sent onto us, but passed the results onto us. And his son, Cain, killed his brother Abel. That's the first recorded sin we have outside Adam and Eve. But that was his sin. That was Cain's sin. It was not Adam's sin. And it certainly was not Adam's gene in it that caused him to do that. But he lived in a world that was that had gone bad. I just wonder what Adam and what Cain and Abel thought when they saw the world uh, bad. Of course, they weren't there when it was good, so I guess they accepted it. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. That is God's way. That's God's gift. That's how it was. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the many, through one, through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in, in, the, in life through the one Jesus Christ. Eternal death, maybe so. But Adam did not bring eternal death to anybody but himself. And if he did bring it to himself, he brought physical death. But eternal death comes from our own personal sins. There's the sin of Adam that created more problems than I want to talk about and more problems than I know. But it was not what caused me to sin. I came and sinned on my own. And it's my responsibility. I believe what Adam did against us, Jesus Christ reversed that and did for us. Therefore, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Jesus Christ will deliver us from anything that Adam handed us. The desire we have to sin can be delivered through Jesus Christ, and the result of that sin can be negated by the life of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.18, I just read. Look at it in the SV. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Simple, but complex. Hard to understand, but great to accept. The second Adam delivered salvation for us. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That doesn't mean they became sinners through his sin. But they became sinners because he opened the door to sin. And sin became attractive to them. And they committed the sins themselves. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Did not mean that because Jesus died, people were automatically made righteous. They were not. Means the offer was there. Jesus invited whosoever will let him come. And to the church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So he gives the invitation. And we respond or don't respond. It's up to us. 
Satan gives the invitation and we respond or don't respond. It's up to us. The sad thing about it is where there's a law, we think we have to violate it. I knew a little boy. I was visiting a family and that little boy was mine. Set him in the floor and he found a nail and he got to I said, son, leave that nail alone. And he laid it down. I saw the electrical outlet over there. I was talking and all of a sudden, okay, thank you. You felt the shock. I had warned him about that plug. If I had not done that, he probably never would have put the nail in there. And I like to say about my dear father, great man, great teacher, my daddy never told me not to take alcohol. He never told me not to smoke. And I've never touched either. I knew better. He didn't want to tell me not to. He just wanted me to know better. He didn't want to forbid it. He just wanted me to refuse it. And I thank God for that. I haven't always had that kind of wisdom. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. So that as death reigned in, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law entered so sin might abound. What in the world does that mean? Law defines sin. God did say thou shalt not. He said that for our benefit. And there were things that my dad said thou shalt not too, but it was not cigarettes and tobacco, uh, cigarettes and beer. But there were things he told me I shouldn't do. And I listened to him because of the way he said it. But here's God giving a law in the Old Testament. It says, here's what you shall not do. Here's what you shall do. And the people took that and used it as they would. There was Achan who decided, we're going to talk about this guy Sunday night a little bit, not much. He decided that that gold and silver... And garment was worth more to him than it was to God. And he took it. And he paid for it. With his wife, children, servants, animals. How terrible. We just want to do it. And we're going to see later on in the book of Romans. that Paul says when we're forbidden to do something, we want to do it. Makes it attractive to us. How very sad. That's how we are. It's the kind of world we live in. That's how our minds work. But it doesn't have anything to do with the sin gene. We just do it on our own. Well, that's all I know about this book, this chapter. uh, Chapter 6, next week, the week after next, by the way. 
Next week we will be in Vacation Bible School. And we will be talking about Jonah and the sea monster. Not going to be talking about the whale. Because I'll give you a hint right now. That sea monster there in Matthew 12, 30 was a katos. K-long A-T-O-S. Could have been a whale, but it wasn't. So, I love the story. Next Sunday night we'll have a PowerPoint. And that may be the only real PowerPoint we have. We might have some notes on the other three, but I look forward to having you in class being a part of that. Anybody have any comments? Notice I didn't say questions. <laughs> there was a point in here that I missed. I'm thinking of it now, and I don't know where it is. But it had to do with what I believe is children, and uh, it, it's in verse 14. Let me, uh, me go there. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression. In the previous verse, it says all have sinned. And then it says there are some here who have not sinned according to the transgression. That's probably children. As a result of Adam's sin, children die. It's very sad. But children not born in sin, as you well know. And that was a big thing during the Restoration Movement because Calvinism had taken this whole nation just about and the men who started the restoration movement were all Calvinists and they decided not to baptize their children or sprinkle their children whatever when they were born and that caused a big problem because you don't love your kid if he dies he'll go to hell a lot of pressure there let's all bow Father for the blessings we have in Christ we give our thanks We pray that you'll bless us and keep us as you know how. Help us to understand the Bible, the difficulties of it. Help us to study it, make it a part of our lives, meditate on it all the days of our lives that we may draw closer and closer to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gave us this word to lead us into all truth. Bless us, keep us, we pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.